excited to have you with us at Our Father's House. Whether you are watching by live stream, social media, or television, we are so honored to have you. Our prayer is that wherever you are, you will encounter the glory of God like you never have before. Now, let's go into service and see what God has in store for you today. Praise the Lord, everyone. This is Pastor Justin Helton from our Father's House in Pineville, Kentucky. It's an honor to have you join us for another podcast as we continue into the book of Revelation. And this will be in chapter 2. We're going to be dealing with the first uh, two churches of Asia Minor that John writes to as uh, Jesus. Uh, of course, this is written in red. So this is Jesus' message to the church uh, and uh, as John begins to write to the pastors there of, of Ephesus and Smyrna. So uh, just going to dive into this and see what God uh, has in store for us today. Before we get into the introduction of these churches into the Word, let's just open with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for all of those that are listening today to this podcast, God. I pray that this word would just be seasoned with your anointing and your presence. God, as this word goes forth, let people grow in the knowledge and wisdom of the scriptures. Most importantly, let us uncover the truth, God. And let us be able to take these messages that your son Jesus spoke to these churches and let us apply it to this day and to our generation, God, uh, following through with, the, with what was commended and repenting for anything that resembles what the churches needed to repent for, that we may be preserved spotless and blameless before your throne, Father. Holy are you, God. Righteous are you, God. You are so good and faithful. Lord, we just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we get into these uh, seven churches of Asia Minor, of course, the pastors are referred to as stars and the candlesticks referred to as the church. Very interesting to note, I was reading Perry Stone's commentary on these verses and came across something very interesting. It's when you see in Scripture, and this is applied several t- in several places in Scripture, such as with uh, Jacob and the sons of Jacob and the tribes of Israel, uh, that's a good example, as well as the uh, four living creatures, and we'll talk about that later down the road. But you see a resemblance of the um, churches as far as um, the ministering to in reference to them being related to the co- constellations. Uh, there are seven stars in the constellation called Pleiades, and with the center star, it is the brightest and believed by ancients to be the center of the universe. And these seven stars, which are known as seven sisters, actually can parallel to the seven churches in Asia Minor. Uh, it is uh, The Pleiades is uh, seven sisters, seven stars in this constellation is located in the neck of the constellation called Taurus the Bull. Oddly, these seven churches addressed in Revelation are all located at the base of Taurus Mountains in Asia Minor. So it's interesting to see um, how that parallels with that. Also, Christ is called the Bride and Morning Star, which is a cosmic reference to the planet Venus, which when it reaches its maximum brightness before sunrise and shortly after sunset... In other words, Jesus Christ is our brightest light in the thickest darkness. Amen. And also, it introduces a new day or new beginning. And so you see again the stars, constellations being parallel to prophetic words that God uh, gave to His people. And so... 
Studying church history, a lot of uh, futurists teach that uh, the seven churches of Asia Minor are more than just a message being spoken to the church of that day or generation. Um, But um, they believe that there were certain church ages, and I want to break this down for you. For example, they believe the seven churches of Asia are certain ages or time periods throughout uh, church and world history. Ephesus is the apostolic church age, which goes from roughly around 30 to 100 uh, A.D. Smyrna, or excuse me, Smyrna, the persecuted church, goes from 100 to 312. Pergamos, the Roman church, from 313 to 600. Thyatira, the Dark Ages, from 600 to 1517. Sardis, the Reformation, from 1517 to 1700. The Church of Philadelphia, from 1648 to the 21st century. And Laodicea, the lukewarm church, the present situation. Now, having said that, I 1,000% disagree with the view that the seven churches are parallel to church ages. And here's why. Because, number one, it is an absolute absolute diminishing of the value of of the church the body of Christ for example um it you know many may look at the church of america and say well they might fall under a laodicea category the lukewarm church but i assure you that not every church in the united states of america is lukewarm there are missions minded churches there are dead churches there are churches that have compromised with sin there are churches that have left their first love there are churches in sudan and underground churches in china churches in india that are suffering persecution today um for for the hope in which they believe and so it is an absolute injustice to call a church that is suffering persecution in foreign lands as being a uh, as being a lukewarm church i mean just honored just an absolute disrespect. Also, if we look at ourselves as the church of Laodicea, it demeans who we are and develops the mindset that earth is going to hell in a handbasket so Jesus can return. I truly don't believe Jesus is coming back and returning because of how bad the world is. I don't believe that uh, the coronavirus is what's going to cause Jesus uh, to be sent from his throne to earth uh, for the uh, for judgment to come upon the world or anything like that and for the great catching away or the second advent or whatever you believe or whatever you want to call it that is not going to be the motivation for end times um it's interesting to see that people believe because of a great falling away quote unquote that we fall short of preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth and believe in the end time harvest where the latter rain and early rain come together uh, and that we see some sons and daughters prophesying, old men dream dreams and young men shall see visions. How do we have the perspective that there is a great falling away, but there's also an end time harvest? Like it, it kind of conflicts each other. You either have the lukewarm or you have revival. So uh, I, I believe not in church ages, but I do believe the messages that was spoken to each church we can relate to today. And so if I was to break these down in titles to the messages to each church, this is how it's going, how it would look. Number one, the church of Ephesus, the message was to remain faithful to your first love. The church of Smyrna was being willing to endure persecution. Uh, The church of, I believe it's uh, Pergamos, is to intercede to dethrone principalities and powers. The church of Thyatira is to unmask the Jezebel spirit. Um, The church of Philadelphia is to let no man take your crown. 
and the church of Laodicea is uh, no compromise. And so, and the church of Sardis, um, skip that one, was to be spiritually revived and watching. So that would be the way I would break down these uh, seven churches. But anyway, um, and doing that, let's talk about the first two churches. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Let's talk about the church of Ephesus. And to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. And, and again, angels talking about the pastor of the church of Ephesus. Doesn't talk to, about, to a little angel. I do not believe that John had the authority or uh, the directive from Jesus to actually speak to an angel, to an actual spiritual heavenly being of an angel. Um, I believe this is referring to as people say in the church, the angel of the house, a pastor that overseen that church. The Bible says that angels hearken to the word of God. So if we are speaking the word of God, I believe angels can carry uh, those words. I believe uh, they can carry our prayers before the throne room of heaven. I believe when we speak the word that there's a heavenly uh, force behind us when we do those things. But I don't believe that we have the right or authority that Jesus, because Jesus could tell an angel what to do. He doesn't need us to do it, right? And so he... And Jesus holds the seven stars, which are the past, uh, the uh, pastors in his hand. He walks among the golden lampstand, which is the seven churches. Amen. Because we are to be uh, the light of the world. So he said, I know your deeds, your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. You found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake. Have not grown weary, but have against you, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore remember where you fall and repent and do the deed you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place. And unless you repent, yet this you do have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him that overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And so John, uh, the beloved, or John the Revelator, uh, was, again, the only disciple of Jesus that wasn't martyred. And so he was spared to speak a word uh, to these seven churches as Jesus uh, began to give him revelation and, the, and, and heaven and began to just pour revelation into, into his life. And so um, as we go through here, let's talk a little bit about the background of Ephesus. Ephesus' name means the desired one. It was a desired city. It was the fourth greatest city in the ancient world. It was. It had a lot of temples, gyms, philosophy. It was known for philosophy, uh, stadiums, things of that nature. It also had a seaport where a lot of tourists traveled to see uh, the temple of the Greek god Artemis, or the Romans called Diana. Uh, you read about the worship of the goddess Diana in Acts chapter nineteen, verses twenty-three through forty-one. Um, and just to break down some history here on this uh, on this subject. Um, the Di goddess Diana was the dominant worship figure in Ephesus. Um, Diana was, if you was to, the statue and the temple worship was a lot of prostitution and perversion. Uh, the idol worship, this uh, idol would actually, was a multi-breasted uh, image of this woman. And um, it was just honored through perversion, again, prostitution, things of that nature. And to go through uh, history a little bit, in Ephesus... And in, in the Roman Empire in that area, area, it didn't seem like the Christ, that Christianity was overseeing or conquering over the worship of Diana, and vice versa. 
And so you had an assimilation of two religions into one. And so it is a reason why people worship Mary, the Virgin Mother of Jesus. They allowed Mary from the Christian world to replace Diana. And so in Roman Catholicism, you have a worship to Mary, and it translated back all the way back to this uh, false god, Diana. And so it was just compromising and assimilating, again, two religions into one. So you can see the importance of not compromising with religion or, or compromising with idolatry and these religious minds. Mindsets, uh, and instead of remaining faithful to the cause of Jesus, because uh, what happens is now you have generations of people affected that, that are trying to get to heaven through Hail Marys rather than go through the blood of Jesus. Uh, can I tell you this? Um, there's no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved than the name of Jesus. And so if you take, uh, if you take Jesus out of the picture, I mean, it's just a horrible injustice to Jesus if the Father sent His only begotten Son to die if there are more than one way to heaven and so it's just it's just crazy and so we can't compromise our faith but the church of ephesus at the time they refused to compromise uh, with false doctrine in fact they didn't tolerate the deeds of the nicolaitans because they hated it and god also hated hated it the greek meaning for nicolaitans is to rule or conquer over people in other words they were a group of people who ruled over the church can i tell you jesus is the shepherd of the church he is the chief shepherd and so it is not up to uh, i believe we need leaders in in the body of christ we need leaders in the church but church boards are not to be dictators um, and rule over the people in the sense of entitlement. Uh, we need to submit to the authority and, and just arrange ourselves under the word and, and of, of Jesus, the, the authority of, the Lord, of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And so there was a Gnostic sect of people, group of people at the time who followed Nicholas the heretic. Nicholas was actually first ordained as a deacon uh, of the first church in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 6 verse 5. But he drifted away from the truth, began to practice, according to Dake's uh, annotated reference Bible, began to practice and, and teach impure and immoral doctrines such as uh, community wives or polygamy, committing adultery and fornication was not sinful, and that eating meat offered to idols was lawful. And so they really began to um, bring in perversion. They began to pervert what it meant for a family, uh, what it meant for marriage. And so... And then also idolatry. And so with the adultery, fornication, the idolatry that was involved, it led people astray. But the church of Ephesus didn't tolerate it um, because God didn't tolerate it. If God, We're not to wink at things that God doesn't tolerate. And so um, we can't wink at adultery or fornication. Uh, it's time for the church to arise to the occasion and begin to uh, reestablish the purpose and the meaning of what family is really all about. Amen. But uh, even in spite of the church of Ephesus um, being committed for not tolerating these doctrines, they had one thing and that they needed to do, and that was to return to their first love. What did that mean? The same passion that they had when they first surrendered their life to Jesus, they were to return to it. Um, the fire they had in their eyes, the hunger for God and His Word, the desire for devotion and prayer, they were to return back to that place. Um, you can have a, a lot of 
plan church meetings and all that stuff, but if you don't have a relationship with God and devotion, it means absolutely nothing. I believe God is bringing the church back to a place of pure devotion, that even if you can't meet on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, you have a relationship with Him so much that you're not starved to death and saying, man, I I just don't think I can make it because I can't go to a church building. Listen, all you need is God. All you need is His presence. Let everything flow from a place of devotion. The building is not your relationship. Ministry is not your relationship. Ministry can be a prostitute uh, to the church if you allow it to drift not only from your relationship with God, but from your family um, and things. Because ministry, uh, good these all these good deeds to help other people. If you or if you're leaving your husband, your wife, your kids, or whatever to the side, uh, they're going to downplay and downgrade church and ministry for the rest of their life if they never had a relationship, a true relationship with their husband, their wife, their father, and their mother. Amen. So we got to get back to a restored basis of family in the church. Amen. And so he tells them, he said, remember where you've fallen and do your first works. Repent. Repent means to change one's mind by taking on the mind of Christ. It is time for the church to lose its mind and change the way it thinks by looking from Christ's perspective. Um, That's what repentance is. It's doing a 180, doing a turnaround and going back the other direction. It's a change of mind and that change of mind will precede a change of action, attitude, character and behavior. So if we want our attitude, character, and behavior to change, we have to repent and take upon ourselves the mind of Christ, because if not, our candlestick can be removed. You understand, an entire church body was on the edge of being removed from the presence of God, from heaven's glory, from its legacy in the kingdom, because it refused to go back to its first love. When you let your love die out, your fire will die out. When you let your relationship with God die out, um, everything else, I mean, it, it just doesn't matter. You cannot be a light to the world. You can have the most talented musicians, gifted singers, eloquent preachers. But if you've let your first love, it means absolutely nothing. It means absolutely nothing. And you're not making cultural impact. You're not making societal impact when God has called us to make disciples in our generation. Amen. He said in Scripture, this is the promise he gave the church of Ephesus. He said, if you will retain your first love, you will eat of the tree of life in heaven. Amen. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden, in the the paradise of God, there was a tree of life. And Adam and Eve chose to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil to be as God rather than to be like Him. They wanted to be equal with God uh, rather than be like Him. They could have had eternal life, but they refused uh, and they chose knowledge of good and evil, and their sin had separated them from God. Notice something. Uh, the Lord had sent cherubim to guard uh, the tree of life in the Garden of Eden after that in Genesis 3.24. Why is that? Because if they would have ate of the tree of life after eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, two things. Number one, it would have made God a liar because now a curse had came as a result of sin. And number two, if they would have ate of the tree of life, they would have been eternally cursed. And so they had to be preserved and protected. So Jesus came, died, and resurrected. And now that's why in Revelation chapter 21 uh, and and chapter 22, uh, well, excuse me, chapter 22, verse 12 and 22, verse 14, it says that on both sides of the river of life flowing from the throne of heaven, there is a tree of life whose leaves are for the healing of the nations and bearing 12 manner of fruit, and that those who are obedient to God's commands have the right to the tree of life. There is, is a tree of life in heaven that we get to eat from and we can be restored 
restored back to a paradise relationship with the Father and begin eternal life even now because Jesus said eternal life is knowing God. We can step into that realm because we've returned to our first love. It's time to go back to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. So, um, I want to encourage you guys, uh, encourage you guys to do that. And number two, you have the Church of Smyrna, which is the willingness to endure persecution. Verses eight through eleven says, "Into the angel of church in Smyrna, write the first and the last who was dead and has come to life." Says this again. Uh, maybe you remember if you listened to the last podcast, you remember me saying that there was some references of Jesus that would be later on referred to in the in the uh, next chapters to these churches. And here you go, the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Jesus has an eternal beginning and ending. Uh, he was dead, but now he's alive. So he's demonstrating uh, his eternal uh, life and also his uh, resurrection power. And he said, I know your tribulation, your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy about those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil's about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested. You have tribulation for 10 days, but be faithful to death, and I'll give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. He who overcomes will not be hurt to the second death. Um, Now, the word Smyrna comes uh, from the word meaning myrrh, which is one of the gifts that that was given to Jesus from the wise men in Matthew chapter 2. Verse 11, uh, I believe that uh, Smyrna was a gift to Jesus. Amen. Uh, this was a church that was only uh, commended and not rebuked. That's, that shows us that you can be in right standing with Jesus. Smyrna and Philadelphia were the only two churches of the seven that was commended and not rebuked. It shows we can be a perfect in alignment with what he wants us to do. And notice the common denominator in both these churches. They were both persecuted. The word says, Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So, so I believe it's important to, uh, to know uh, the importance of enduring uh, persecution. But anyway, the city of Smyrna, it was a seaport city. Uh, according to uh, Perry Stone Commentary, it, was a, it had an increase of silt over time that made the entry uh, difficult for ships, port entry difficult. It was a wealthy city uh, known for its science, medicine, architecture, very political city, housed many Christians who were poor and persecuted. The chief goddess at the time was Sibyl, and her temple was the largest in the city. Sibyl's followers marked a day when they would cut themselves, dancing in a frenzy. The male priests were castrated, becoming a third gender, meaning neither male or female. So you see a perversion uh, that is going on in this city. Um, And I believe we see uh, evidences of this perversion in in America, especially, but also in the world today, in the sense of people uh, with transgender or not knowing what their gender is, things things like that. We need a restoration of identity in the church. Amen. Uh, but anyway... Smyrna was noted for oracles where priests would speak to a priestess, which, of course, was demonic. Uh, the saints were poor in material things, but rich in faith and love for the Lord. Um, and so that's what you've got going on at the time so that you have an understanding. So Sibyl, Diana, uh, Artemis that you read about, in, uh, uh, Ashtaroth, all these gods was kind of was kind of on the same wavelength, so to speak, with their perversion and different things of that nature. But God commended Smyrna for the works they did and how they suffered through tribulation and poverty. 
and still remain faithful to God. And so um, one of the uh, pastor, well, the main pastor, according to uh, what I'm finding in writings in, in church history, uh, the pastor of the church of Smyrna was Polycarp, uh, one of the disciples of John the Beloved. I want to read you um, an excerpt, which is in the book entitled Jesus Freaks, which was by D.C. Talk and the Voice of the Martyrs. It's in pages 136 to 138. I want to read the story of Polycarp because he was a martyr for the gospel, but he was a pastor the Church of Smyrna. But anyway, it says, the kindly, the kindly old bishop entered the arena under armed guard. The stands were filled with an angry mob. Their shouts filled the air. And suddenly, a voice from heaven spoke to the bishop, saying, Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. Despite the noise from the crowd, many of those who stood nearby also heard the heavenly voice. Once inside the arena, the soldiers quickly brought Polycarp before the Roman proconsul. Polycarp, the well-known bishop of Smyrna, was the last living link with the twelve disciples as he had studied under John. As soon as the crowd learned that this famous bishop had been arrested, a great cheer went up. The proconsul tried to get Polycarp to deny Jesus Christ. Swear by the fortune of Caesar. Take the oath and I'll release you. Curse Christ. The bishop stood firm. Eighty-six years have I served the Lord Jesus, and he has never once wronged me. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? The proconsul threatened, I've wild beasts ready. I'll throw you to them if you do not change your mind. Let them come, for my purpose is unchangeable, replied Polycarp. If the wild beasts don't scare you, then I'll burn you with fire, said the proconsul. You threaten me with a fire which will burn for an hour and then will go out. But you're ignorant of the fire, the future judgment of God reserved for everlasting torment of the ungodly. But why do you delay? Bring on the beasts or the fire or whatever you choose. You shall not move me to deny Christ my Lord and Savior. When the proconsul saw the Polycarp would not recant, he sent the herald to proclaim three times in the middle of the stadium, Polycarp has professed himself a Christian. As soon as they heard these words, the whole multitude of Gentiles and Jews fiercely demanded that he be burned alive. Immediately dry wood was brought out and heaped in the center of the arena for a bonfire. When they were about to nail him to the stake, Polycarp said, Leave me as I am. Who He who gives me strength to endure the fire will enable me to remain still within the fire. They agreed to this and simply tied his hands behind his back with a rope. In his final prayer, he prayed, O oh, Father, I thank you that you've called me to this day and hour and have counted me worthy to receive my place among the number of the holy martyrs. Amen. As soon as he uttered the word, Amen, the officers lit the fire. The flame rose up high above his body, but miraculously he was not burned. Those who watched said he was in the midst of the fire, not as burning flesh, but as gold and silver refined in a furnace. And we smelled such a sweet aroma as of incense or some other precious spice. Since the fire did not hurt him, the executioner was ordered to stab him with a sword. As soon as he did, the blood flowed from the wound that it put out the fire. Amen. Ain't that awesome, man? Such an incredible testimony of God's goodness and mercy, man. Uh, that's why I believe... Um, which, of course, maybe you've heard the song, He Ain't Never Done Me Nothing But Good, and it talks about Polycarp's story that the fire could not touch him, and they pierced him with a sword, blood rushed out, and put out the fire. But yet he's still praising God. Man, if that story doesn't wreck you, I don't know what will, um, because we, we let so much fear creep in and concern about what people think, and uh, do, are we fitting in, are we doing enough, and all these people did was love Jesus, man, and uh, when you fall lo in love with God, 
truly in love with God, uh, you don't have to worry about, will I deny Him? Will I run away? Will I, will I uh, just give in? No, just in life of surrender. You understand that the moment you surrender your life on an altar, whether that altar was in a bedroom, a car somewhere, kitchen, church, wherever, that uh, where that place is surrendered, you died that day, and now your life belongs to God. Amen. And uh, Polycarp lived that testimony, and it was awesome. And so that's why... He tells the church of Ephesus, or excuse me, not Ephesus, Smyrna, let no man take your crown. James chapter 1, verse 11, the Bible says, Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. We are blessed if we endure temptation because we're promised a crown. If you let bitterness come in and, and, tr- and be distracted, get your eyes off Jesus and get your eyes, just like Peter did when he got his eyes off Jesus and got it on the storm and began to sink. If you let tribulation and persecution distract you from the presence of God, it can rob you of the crown of life. But if you choose to say, you know what, I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus, or maybe you've been distracted, now it's time to realign your focus and get it on Him and say, you know what, nothing, and have that determination as Paul said, nothing shall separate me from the love of Christ, then it will equip you with the strength, the power, and the anointing that you need uh, to let no man take your crown, because as the Word says, He has promised to them that love Him. A crown of life is reserved for those who, are, who have just such a love for Him. Second uh, Corinthians chapter four verses eight through nine says, "We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed." Polycarp was faced with that situation, but he was more than a conqueror through Jesus because his eyes was upon him and he refused to deny him. First uh, Peter one, yes, First Peter one seven says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found praise, glory, honor, and glory at the appearing of Jesus. So when they uh, pierced him and, and they uh, tried to light him on fire and pierced him and his blood ran out and put out the fire, it signified a sweet fragrance of honor, praise, and glory to our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And uh, and so it's important to know that you are blessed, that there's promises waiting for you, that your life gives honor and glory to Him. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, there's, there's a joy. There's a blessing. There is a victory. There is a praise to God. There is a crown of life uh, that is reserved for those who are willing to despise the shame and endure through the tests of time, the trouble and the trials uh, to know that there is a crown of life. There's promises waiting for you on the other side. Amen. So in closing today, I want to just tell you to uh, that you can overcome. As he promised the church of Smyrna, he said, if you overcome, you'll not be hurt by the second death, which of course is referring to Revelation chapter 20 about being uh, cast into hell because hell's a reality. Heaven is a reality. Eternity is a reality, whether we realize it or not. And so I want to encourage you today that if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, surrender to Him. If you look at your life and say, man... Uh, I don't know how I compare with martyrs and different things like that. I don't know what I would do in that situation. I believe it's time we get back in love with Him and return to our first love. Uh, maybe you say, well, I prayed the sinner's prayer when I was a teenager or something, but I've, I'm not in a relationship with God right now. I've been forever since I've been to church. I don't pray. I don't read my Bible. I believe God is calling us to a place of just pure devotion to Him. So I want to encourage you guys to surrender to Him today. He said, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus 
promise. Believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. You will be saved. There's salvation waiting for you. There eternity is waiting for you. You don't have to make hell your abode. You've got a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And so I want to encourage you to just surrender to Him and give it all to Him. Amen. Uh, I hope that you were touched and blessed by this uh, message on God's message to the church part one. Uh, We'll get into uh, a future podcast here soon with the uh, other churches. We'll we'll finish chapter two and then do chapter three. Uh, So just stay tuned for that. Amen. May God bless you until we see you or meet you soon. In Jesus' name, amen.